Left. Right. Hey, what's up there? Today we are talking about the Don't Say Gay Bill, the new Florida legislation. And uh, let me tell you, I didn't know anything about this before the episode, but uh, it's very interesting. And we are at a time right now where the politics are really forcing the country to divide. And uh, these, this new coming legislature is, uh, is really stunning. So uh, listen up. Let me know what you think about the Don't Say Gay Bill. That's not really the name of it, but that is what the media is calling it. So uh, listen on, let me know what you think, and uh, see ya. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 All right, and that long four means we are live, waiting for conf uh, confirmation that we are up and running on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. Instagram. I think tonight I'm a little bit worried about Instagram. Either way, if you're hearing my voice, you've made it. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 173. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, referee, professional bartender, most exciting of all, accountant. James, how's it hanging down there in sunny South Carolina? It's actually been sunny and warm, so... Finally turning the corner on what was kind of a cold winter, and uh, yeah, accounting's still killing me. Yeah, well, uh, so before we got in there, we were talking about your motorcycle. So you now, uh, you've got this cool, hip motorcycle you're, you're riding, and we were talking about how nice it is to be on a motorcycle because it's so simplified. And for the most part... Well, I wouldn't say simplified. Well, hang on, let me, let me clarify what I meant is that motorcycle technology and riding a motorcycle, you are much more in tune with just the mechanics of the bike and the road than when you're in a car and you're getting text message notifications on your, uh, your display, your built-in display on the dashboard and, and everything's integrated. And then when you're on a motorcycle, it's just you, the road, and the mechanics of the bike. Simplicity aside, fair enough? Yeah, it, it, it's a much more direct driving riding experience because there's the only distractions are the ones that you introduce but like for example my bike doesn't even have a radio it's the only thing that I, I i can listen to is the sound of the wind and of the engine I, and, well, I, I don't have a radio either i think the radios are only pretty common on like the big touring bikes like the harley davidson yeah the, the victory bikes um, so radios aren't super common in the sportier bike region, but uh, my helmet has built-in pockets for speakers in the ears. You have one of those helmets? Nope. Uh, well, that's I like a little music when I when I'm driving. And uh, if I needed to, I've got a pair of like low-profile wireless earbuds that I could put on before I put on the helmet, but. Given that I'm still learning a lot of what I need to do, I don't want to have distractions. So I want to be able to just listen to what's going on around me. So, I, and I think that's a that's a really good idea. And I want to hi Maria. Want to talk a little bit more about motorcycles in just a second. Say hi to Maria, who's watching us live. Uh, today we're talking about primarily, predominantly, we're going to get into the what's called the "Don't Say Gay" bill that's uh, been introduced in Florida. I know nothing about this. I think this. it's signed into law now. I, uh, I don't think quite yet. I think it's, it's going to DeSantis uh, very soon. But I think it passed the Senate and the House in Florida like two weeks ago or so. So, uh, so on, that, on that note, we'll get there in a second. But James, i got to ask you, what are you drinking there? Sticking with the bush ice tonight. Keeping it simple. Very nice choice. I, uh, I don't even know what this stuff is called. Doucet? I found uh, a Doucet cognac, so I'm going to pour that in my, my little glass here and try to sip that. Because uh, I just got back from skiing, which we were talking about before we got on air, how learning to ski, I thought, was similar to learning how to ride a motorcycle. 
because there's a certain skill set that you have to have before you push it to high speeds. Would you agree with me there? Yeah, I would say with skiing, I think there's a lot of similarities. I, th I think that with skiing, it's harder to get yourself into trouble early as compared to like riding a motorcycle. Well, it depends on the type of hill and the terrain that you're on. And I think same thing with the motorcycle. You can drive around some local roads, 45, 50 mile an hour speed limit roads. But, you know, the second you get on a busy highway or you get out and it starts raining and there's traffic, you might find yourself kind of above your pay grade and not able to handle something. And that puts you in a really vulnerable place, especially when it comes to danger. Same thing with skiing. You and I both, a lot of people probably don't know this, uh, and I haven't skied in like 15 years at least, uh, just about almost exactly 15 years, but a lot of people don't know that you and I were ski instructors from age 13 or 14 to about age 20, 21. Yeah. And, uh, very avid skiers. We grew up in the Adirondack region, so the Northeast, did a ton of skiing. And have you skied, when was the last time you skied? Probably close to 10 years ago now. Yeah, how, how, so that was 10 years, so probably five or six years after the last time you skied prior to that, yeah? Yeah, I think it would have been, at that point, at least three or four. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I've gone roughly, like I said, 15 years. I think I went once over the course of 15 years, but never really got on any challenging terrain, and I was wearing the short trick skis. I, that, if I were to go skiing, that's, that's what I would use. <laughs> well, I, I still do, like those skis. I didn't, they're easier to use. You have a lot more functionality. And you know, I just like being able to ski backwards. Yeah, well, uh, especially for a newer newer skier, it's it's easier. And I love the short skis. You have a lot, a lot more you're able to do. Um, but this time I use long skis, and I never really used long skis. So getting into it uh, was tough. And I was in Colorado, which I was in Colorado for our mutual friend Max's wedding in 2019. And that was in June or July, I think, maybe even early August summertime beautiful very green we were in a pretty flat area surrounded by a ton of mountains this time i was in the rocky mountains driving through i think it was route 70 uh throughout the rocky mountains felt like i was at the bottom of the grand canyon just looking up the mountains went on forever and i, I imagine that the altitude of the mountains is probably considerably greater even than the grand canyons and i was so surprised by the sheer magnitude of these mountains. The lift, you go up this mountain, you hit the crest of the mountain, and you think you're at the top. Once you once you come over that crest, you realize there's an entire another mountain on top of that. And that happened two or three times before we got to the top. And then we got to the top of the lift, and there was another lift which brought you basically another mountaintop away from that. And uh, I think we were at like over 8,000 feet in elevation. What resort did you go to? It was somewhere in, uh, in like, Vail. Uh, I don't know the towns. I think this was Beaver Creek Resort. Uh, but I guess there's, like, Breckenridge. And I don't know if it's different mountain names or different resort names. I'm not really sure. But I know, I don't like, know. like, the Vail Aspen area. Uh, and uh, it was cool. It was, it was cool. So, but <clears throat> Colorado is, I would think, a state that if I had to choose... I had the freedom to choose, like a friend Max, I guess, basically did, a state to to move to and spend some time. Colorado would be an awesome state to move to because you have good culture, good atmosphere there, and you have awesome winter sports, and you have awesome summer sports. There's hiking, mountain biking, canoeing, uh, and then your whole your whole winter sport range as well. So that was that was really cool. So speaking of states that we would move to and states we wouldn't move to, you want to give me two states that you definitely wouldn't move to? There, there's more than two, but Florida and Texas are near the top. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually I think Florida's a, a cool place. I like how, um, how pretty laid back they are. And that's, you know, it, it just hit me that I was going to say, you know, Florida is pretty liberal in the sense of the definition of the word liberal. But in the political sense of the word liberal, they are not liberal at all. They're very conservative. So you mentioned this topic the other day when I was away. You wanted to talk about this, what you call anti-gay legislation 
in Florida and Texas. Well, I, didn't, I didn't do any research. I just found out about it and started doing some research today. And I got a, I got a ton of notes I've been taking. So tell me, fill me in on, on what's going on. You said Florida and Texas. Well, so Texas is not directly involved in this, but Texas, but Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill took some inspiration from Texas in this way, where when Texas passed their anti-abortion bill a couple months ago, they allowed for private citizens to sue abortion clinics or people that they thought aided and abetted an abortion um, after the six-week period or whatever timeline they set out. So Florida took a similar idea from that and is going to allow parents to sue school districts and I think possibly teachers as well if the, their children were offended or made uncomfortable by a lesson. So, and that might not be the exact language in the bill. Let's, uh, let's stop and say hi to Kay and Christina. I, I know Kay's a snowboarder, by the way. Oh, yeah? Asking about skiing. So what, it's, what, I, what I read today is the bill is called Parents' Rights in Education. And this is the, I was trying to get the most, I didn't actually read the bill, but I was trying to get the most specific language of, because I was like, oh, from what, the, what you're seeing in the media headlines is, it says, don't say gay bill. So the way that I interpreted it at first, before I did any research, was that using the word gay in Florida would have been mandated to, would have been made illegal akin to using the n-word which is not illegal but it's just a general judgment call that most people make so my thinking of making it illegal to use the word gay seemed insane but that wasn't the case the way the bill reads to my knowledge says it uh, prohibits classroom instruction by school personnel or third party or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity in grades kindergarten through third grade and parents can sue the school district uh, if that order is violated. All right, so you caught part of it. So the first part, I, I think, is relatively uncontroversial, but not, like it's still problematic um, of saying that, like, all right, you can't teach about sexual identity at all through the third grade. Um, I, I want to swing back to why that's a little bit difficult, um, but it also says that after after third grade, so like fourth grade through seniors, um, the 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 instruction has to be age appropriate, but it doesn't define any of that. So so the like depending on who is interpreting this, like the school and and, and again because the schools can be sued by this, then it could be up to an individual court or jury. So sort of random in terms of what someone says is age appropriate and the reason why i'm saying that like it, it could be potentially problematic to prohibit any instruction whatsoever to kindergartner through through third graders is like if you've got a kid in a class that has parents of the same sex then like and they bring that up are you just like supposed to ignore that or not talk about that is it like it, it, it's again, it's poorly defined. Or if you have a teacher that's in a same-sex relationship and they have a picture of themselves and their partner on their desk, and one of the kids asks, "Who's that in the picture?" Is the teacher not allowed to say? So, so, so that's the discussion about gender identity, uh, same-sex couples, uh, is I think different than classroom instruction regarding this so and that's but again what you just said is it's really somebody complains and then it's open to the court which leads me back to something we've talked a little bit on especially last summer we talked about uh actually i'm sorry the summer of 2020 is this these the legislation that's being proposed now is so hardcore agenda driven and poorly written that we're, it's really, it's ripping our society apart. So I'll give you an example with like the 
the, all the new rent guidelines and the proposed cancel rent bills and the, these bills that when they you, they don't really flush out it's just somebody wants something done at any cost and and they're going to they're going to shove it through the court system and it's been done much more on the liberal end in new york city but this is on the hardcore conservative end that's happening in texas and florida and they're just bad bills yeah both i'd say both sides are guilty but i'm going to i, I know i'm biased here but i think that the the republican side is more guilty than the the liberal side i think it's i think it's just as bad i see these liberal bills come from new york city you probably don't see the same stuff in the fallout from them in south carolina but you know i'm and i'm seeing all this and, and i also see all this crime on the street where the cops can't do anything with, with these people um you know because they're mentally ill but they're still using drugs and attacking people i think there was either 12 or 24 shootings over this last weekend which i think is a new york city record and, but either 12 or 24 in a two-day period is is a huge record and that's my thinking is it's an indication of what the police can't do and how it how far it slid yeah i, I guess being in charleston which is a liberal town by this by south carolina standards but a conservative town compared to new york city um I just don't see it as much. I, I only see the statewide stuff. And then, like, I, just a quick aside on rent, because, like, I, just out of curiosity, I looked what the apartment that I was living in a year ago, I was looking to see what the rent in that place would be today, just out of curiosity. And it's $500 a month more. And to me, I, I think that, yes, like, kicking, like, the, the don't pay rent movement is kind of ill-advised but at the same time i look at like my apartment complex i know for a fact that like their new ownership took over four or five years ago so they would have taken out the debt and everything else four or five years ago and they have a set amount that they have to pay every month to pay off the purchase of that property so for them to raise rent by five hundred dollars in a year it's not like their debt servicing went up it's not like their costs went up they just jacked up the rent because they think they can so th there's there's definitely frustration that I think is justified on the part of renters saying, why are you charging so much in rent when your costs haven't gone up? You're just gouging. Yeah, and I think, yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll buy into that a bit. But also, what is fair market if it's not... if it's not the ability to raise prices when demand, when demand increases? You know, who's keeping yeah. the dollars to, to hold their dollar menu? And who's complaining when the dollar menu goes away at select McDonald's? Now you, now you can only buy a, a McDouble for, you know, $2.40, and formerly it was a dollar, which is a, a gigantic increase. You know, at, at what point is there government overreach to, to outlaw those things? Yeah, um, I, I don't know, because the fair market argument it is a good one in terms of if people are still renting at the $500 higher than what I was renting at price, if, if, if they're still able to get occupancy at that, then that says that the fair market value is correct. And but, but, but also look at like, and, 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 and that's also where it's a slippery slope because say you take cars, which right now are in high demand, in low supply, and the price of cars are going up. So do you, do you then also limit cars? And, and, and how are we drawing the line between someone's right to uh, have some, somewhere to live, right? Right to shelter, and then their right to drive a car? Because in my mind, those are pretty similar. I don't think you should look at either of these in terms of rights. I think what I, you need. I, I was, that was my next statement is the right to have your own apartment isn't the basic human need to have shelter. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, for one, shelter versus having your own private transportation is, is a big difference. But sure, secondly, I would say that... On that, though, shelter and having your own one-bedroom apartment are not the same thing either. No, but let me put it this way. That instead of thinking about this of rights that people do or don't have, think about it in terms of what are the types of things that government wants to incentivize what behaviors and and economic trends does the government want to see for the well-being 
of the majority of its constituency? So, so good question. I, and I don't think that the government should be dictating any of that. I think it should be the people that are dictating. Well, that yeah, but the the thing is, government exists to to fill in the areas where the free market fails. Okay, so so I'll let you lead on with that. I don't know where you're going. So yeah, it, like if you look at like the most basic government services that practically everybody would agree the government should be doing, things like a police force and infrastructure, like roads and bridges and you, you like water services. Those are all things that um, especially roads are tough to privatize because it leads to a highly inefficient system where you go on one private road and then you're paying a toll two miles down the road and then five miles later you're paying a toll and you're paying tolls you go across town you might pay four tolls and so sure you could privatize it but it would be an awful system yeah. um, and in terms of like police and fire departments and stuff you could have a private police force and it would work like insurance and you just have like the a security company that you can call and well, you look at ambulances though. yeah well right and so there's a series of things that society has kind of gotten together and agreed upon and said we're all going to pay for this collectively because it's better for everybody to have access to these regardless of how much money they're making or their economic position education's another one where if you don't have it, if you make zero dollars, your kids can still go to school. And society has determined that even the people who make zero dollars a year, their kids should go to school because having everybody educated is good for everybody else. Okay, so let's get back into let's get back into schools and what the government's doing with banning classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in grades K through three, and then keeping discussion about, or instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity, age appropriate grades, what were the grades? Four through the rest. For you, okay. So, um, uh, look, I can understand saying like, hey, we shouldn't be teaching eight-year-olds about sex. I can kind of understand that argument, but well, yeah. th like you could say like, all right, don't make any lesson plans, but like if with this new law, if you have a student ask you a question, because students do that all the time, and you're not allowed to answer it because it could be construed as instructing on sex or sexual orientation, like it puts you as a teacher in a really tough spot because you want to answer a student's oh, question. No, but the answer is that is you need to speak to parents. That's that's the simple answer. We're not. It's, this isn't the place to have that conversation, Johnny. You need to speak to your parents about that. If a, if a, because kindergarten is what, uh, four years old, five years old, five, five. So five through age eight or nine. Yeah. If the five, six, seven, eight, or nine-year-old comes up to you and says, "Hey, Mr. Boswell, uh, I, I think I want to do heroin," and, and they don't know what heroin is. Do you? Do you? Do you open your web browser and search heroin use and children, people dying on the streets, this five or six-year-old? Or do you say, that's a conversation you need to have with your parents. I'm going to call them and let them know. No, you don't. You, the, the, you're, you're setting up a false dichotomy here. I, but, I, but I don't think I am. You, you very much are because you could have it. You can uh, like address a question in an age-appropriate way. So would showing people the effects of heroin use over time be something that would be good for a six-year-old? No. But can you say heroin is a drug that is addictive and dangerous and you what, should never do it? What's drug? What's addictive? And why shouldn't I do it? Because right. But, and then you can, again, if, you, if you're a teacher teaching first grade or whatever, then you're going to have the tools and the training available to know how to answer that question without exposing the kid to things that they shouldn't be exposed to at age six. Well, let me ask you a question. What if they ask about marijuana, which is now a, for the most part, uh, very much accepted drug? Um, and then you're getting one answer from this teacher and one answer from another teacher. So look, my answer isn't, I don't, look, 
I'm not. I, I actually, I was thinking about this. Somebody's blanket answer on this bill, uh, and and just hardcore staunch stanch, stance, uh, really indicates where they fall in the political spectrum. Now, do I think we should be having conversation with six, seven, eight year olds about sexual orientation and gender identity, and not just conversation, but classroom instruction more specifically? No. Do I think that it should be banned entirely and that teachers can be sued if it comes up? Teacher, or maybe I, I heard it was school districts, you heard it was teachers. Uh, I, I think the idea of banning it and, and legislating language that is banned is a terrible idea. Uh, right. So, again, there's a compromise here where you can say, hey, can we have intelligent lesson plans for kids? And maybe those intelligent lesson plans for K through three don't include talking about. Well, I think you could you could I think you could do an intelligent lesson plan that involved sexual orientation and sexual identity with with young kids, because you don't need to talk about the activities that they do. You can just say that some people. Most people prefer to be in a relationship where it's a boy and a girl, but there are some people that like to be in a relationship with somebody of their own gender. And you can leave it at that. And if they ask why, you just say just that's what some people prefer. How is that harming a kid if you say that? I don't, I don't think that's harming a kid, but now you are opening up children who are straight to being more curious, and then their parents get mad because their parents want them to be straight. And I don't but that, that doesn't matter. It do, you're right, exactly. That, that doesn't matter. But like the whole point of, of, of being a student and being a kid is learning about yourself and learning about other things and, and yeah, testing. You know, so, like, well, look, I don't, I don't think there should be really any sex talk up to a certain age. I don't think we had any. But what, sex. I, what I just suggested doesn't have anything to do with sex. All it's just saying is that this is something that exists, and that's all you need to know about it, is it exists. And there are some people that are born, born a boy and later on in their life realize that they feel more comfortable as a girl, and then medical, medic, like doctors can help them become a girl. That's the end of the story. You don't need to go into detail about what it involves or why it's important. You can just say, question. sometimes this happens. Let me ask you a question. Why don't they teach trigonometry in the third grade? Well, because it's a concept that you don't have the cap capability of understanding unless you're a genius at age eight. Yeah, you don't have, yeah, you, you're, you're not able to conceive because you haven't learned the tools to be able to, to understand the concepts of... Right, but if you want to stick with the trigonometry analogy, you definitely teach about triangles before the age eight. And so, like... Just like how when you get into ninth or 10th grade and you start to learn trig and how trig works with triangles, you can go with the same concept of gender and sexual identity and everything. And for the seven-year-olds, it's this is a triangle. That's all you need to know. And then as they get older and more mature, then you say, here's how the angles in the triangle work. Yeah, and, but they're aware that triangles... <laughs> Which, right, but and, that, that, and that's all I'm saying is that like, by, by prohibiting this classroom discussion, you're basically saying we're just not going to tell children about triangles. So look, here's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick sides yet, and I, I kind of have, and we're getting into that as we're kind of saying, yeah, it's important enough triangles exist, but but whether or not sexual orientation slash gender identity needs to be classroom instructed is is something I'm I'm still I haven't been able to get my brain to articulate. What you're getting hung up on is the amount of detail that goes into it. Well, but but hear me out though. What I what I am against is legislation banning language uh, across the board. You know, if because if a if a seven year old asks about the Holocaust, you you're put in a weird position where you, you want to kind of touch on it, but not go into detail with them, but let them understand it's a serious thing. And maybe they'll learn about it when they go up, but you're not going to go into discussion about gas chambers. However, no, if a seven year old asks about the Holocaust and legislation and some radical Republicans 
uh, Holocaust deniers want to pass laws in a state like Texas or Nebraska or something where they don't believe the Holocaust ever happened and now teachers aren't even allowed to talk about it because that's where I feel where this is going. And yeah, that's a, well, it's a, you know, a slippery slope argument is, is bullshit. It'll never get that bad. But we just banned abortions. Now we're banning language in schools about sexual orientation and gender identity. It actually feels like it's going in that direction. Yeah, and, and banning all sorts of books and banning the discussion of any discussion of any topic related to race and disparate racial treatment in this country like the issue is that we have we have a very wide range this very just enormous spectrum of what's being taught in schools where you have in certain schools with white and black and, and other minority kids the conversation is about how the white people in the room have hurt the, the minorities and how all the white people... I don't think that's actually the case. Well, that's, that's what they're saying. And the argument against that is that my fourth grader came home telling me that, you know, he, you know, he felt bad because this happened and the teacher said this. Uh, and, well, then, and then you have that, you know, where people want to ban it and not have it even talked about at all. And both ends of that spectrum are wrong. There's, there's got to be this happy medium. But the question is, you have so many different school districts, so many different schools, that you have this wide range of things that are happening in the school. So it feels like you might need some laws to kind of have some bumpers on both sides of the bowling lane so you don't end up in the gutter on one side and end up in the gutter on the other side. And if you're a bad bowler, which public education kind of is, if you throw enough bowling balls, you know, a lot of these are going to end up in the gutter. Now, we got lucky. We grew up in a, in a school system that was actually public school and very good, but there's a lot of public schools that are throwing gutter balls on one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle. Yeah, and overall, as much as we crapped on our high school, like, with the benefit of perspective, we actually went to a pretty good school. Yeah, I, I, I really think that we did, which skews us in understanding what going to a high school in a very liberal area or a very conservative area or a very upper class area or a very lower class area. That we, don't, we didn't have that experience, but I can tell you from what I hear in the news and the media and hear parents tweeting about, it's, it's vastly different than what we went through. And we were lucky enough to have teachers that would give us at, at an appropriate age a deep enough glimpse into the things that were relevant and and not too deep of a, a glimpse into i remember having a substitute teacher who told us we were probably in seventh eighth or ninth grade how she had a bad drug addiction and this was actually one of my favorite teachers and you know she became a friend of the family and i'm still in touch still in touch with her on uh, on social media an amazing person very level-headed person but she talked about that, and, you know, I was 13, 15, 16 years old, something like that. She didn't go into super detail, but, you know, I, I, I see enough people addicted to drugs in New York City. I know how bad it can get. So. Yeah, and so I, I just, I, I'm against banning things entirely because it eliminates any potential for nuance, and it really emboldens, like, bad actors is it, when you when you impair when you empower such bad actors to sue um and we've been focusing on the republican side of things but there's nothing to say that like you couldn't have the school sue, sued by super liberal people that got offended by something that was taught in school it's a bad idea all around that's that's actually a good perspective on that is but gender identity even as as straight people but the, the, I think the like ability to sue the schools is not limited to being offended about sexual orientation or gender identity. I think it's like a much broader idea of if you're taught like I, I don't know the exact criteria, but there's nothing saying that like a super liberal parent couldn't sue the school because the education wasn't liberal enough for them well, and i'm against that as much as i am a conservative suing the school district it's a bad idea 
but maybe that's how this bill gets really tested is somebody having a conversation about heterosexuality or uh, gender identity in in the uh, conventional way. So a man and woman relationship and then that you know that child goes home and, and the, there's a lawsuit that results because of that. Um, but look, I'm, I, I think this is such a bullshit law because it's, it's, just, it's too agenda-driven. I think there needs to be more discussion about, and I, I haven't wrapped my head around exactly how to deal with this. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I want to get into transgender students in locker room rules, but, but I'm just saying that so we can get back to it. What were you going to say? Well, like one of the things you've spoken about a number of times on this podcast is how you feel students aren't taught to be critical thinkers. And mm-hmm. how, like, how can you critically think about anything if you're not even allowed to talk about it? You're not exposed to it. But I don't think that the Texas and Florida legislators are trying to promote critical thinking at all. No. I don't. I actually think most people that are passing laws about uh, education are promoting critical thinking in any way. Yeah, um, especially well, when it comes to banning conversations. So yeah, because well, and like on the topic of transgendered youth, um, Texas is pa- like recently passed a law that basically says any student, any kid that is going through transgender therapy um, is a victim of child abuse and the parents can be charged by the state for child abuse. So if you have a kid that says that they're transgendered and you bring them to the doctor and, the, and like the doctor says, okay, this is what we can do, you are officially abusing your child if you live in Texas. What law is that and when did, when did that come out? Very recent, I think in the last month or two. Well, so here's... here's... A thought of mine is that uh, yeah. Let me let me just pull up exactly what I've got here. Uh, uh, hold on one second. I, I want to. I, I wrote down a thought that I had about. Um, so, well, I, actually, it's it's not exactly on this level, but my, I, I was thinking like, when does sexual exploration as a child change from innocent to something that and just purely curious? something that is more on the more maligned uh, there's not a, a set moment it, what, but the, and that's you know so then, then my follow-up to that is when is talking about gender I, it's, it's well it's, now you're starting to fall into line with me which is there's never a bad time to talk about it there's just a bad way to talk about it and so, as the kids get older, you can go into more detail and add more, more information. And, yeah, for the kindergartners, you keep it light and quick, and you don't go into detail because they don't need to know. When you get to 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and these kids are almost adults, you can probably give them a lot more information. And it's a sliding scale in between. Let me ask you a question. When, at what age did you begin to have a sexual inclination, if that's the best, if that's, maybe I'm not putting it the right way, but but at what point did you become kind of sexually inclined? Do you remember this? Oh, probably somewhere between 11 and 13. That late? Maybe 10. God, I, I, I remember being way younger than that. Way I don't know. Like it's, it, 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 it really depends on how you set your definition for this? Mm. I mean, I remember having crushes uh, in, in uh, yeah, I have to ask my mom, but I would say as far as preschool. Oh, well, I mean, if you were going to say, like, having a crush on some girl or whatever, then probably like seven or eight. Um, but, but, but also then knowing that you were interested in the other sex exclusively. Uh, I mean, yeah, so that, like, probably. Exclusive interest. But it did. I mean, it, it, it did occur to me that I had that interest. At age oh, age. then yeah, probably somewhere between like five and seven. Yeah, um, and and how was that influenced and adjusted by 
your your school and the places that you went. You know, I like, have no earthly idea. Yeah, uh, but but I don't think that it needed to have been a conversation that was influenced. I don't think there needed to be conversation that influenced that at at, at such an early age. And I don't think I don't think so either. But I don't think that but, it should have been prohibited. But it, but it's it's tricky to to uh, to ban conversation that would influence your sexual preferences. Does that make sense? Well, that's because there there's no telling what kind of what conversation that would be. Like it, it like it, it all could be it, it, yeah, there, there's literally anything that could possibly come up in a conversation could potentially influence like a, a, a kid's opinion of their own sexual identity. Yeah, but I think you know that's how people end up like having foot fetishes. They just well, that, yeah, that's there's a whole bunch of deep psychology to analyze any of that. But like, let's let's move on to. Well, can we get into can we get into that transgender? Uh, the the issue is how does a uh, how does a school or any public organization deal with? And maybe maybe I'm diving way too deep here, but deal with transgenderism when you have a I was I was going to say like a kid's locker room, uh, but you could even take it to a YMCA, and say you know, how does how does that work? Because my thinking is that you got a room full of naked dudes, you know, with their dicks swinging around, and then you got a room full of women with their with their you know boobs flopping around, and and. And the mixing of that makes everybody but that, comfortable. But that doesn't happen. Well, but the what you know, and I was doing research uh, earlier this afternoon. Um, there was a gym teacher saying he has an, he, an issue with boys saying, "I identify as a girl. I, I want to get changed in the girls' locker room." And this is like a, a probably like a fifth fifth grade to middle school teacher is, is what the kids' age look like. And he's he's like I don't really know what to do. I'm waiting kind of for guidance from the okay. district on that. I've got an extremely simple solution to this. You ready? Right. Yeah. The, sure. the number of kids that first all right this this is in, this is depends on one critical assumption, which is that this is an exceedingly rare issue that you're not going to have a large population of these children. Okay. You have a private bathroom that uh, they can go I change thought, in them by themselves. I thought this is where you were going with that, and that's where it gets a little weird. How does it get? How does it get weird? If it, because then because then you're treating that person differently, and do you I make think, the private bathroom available to anybody who wants it? But most people are just be like, yeah, I can either wait five minutes to have to use the private bathroom, or I can just get changed in like. For me, the boys' locker room, and like I don't care. So it, again, well, you're, you're you're treating everyone the same because everyone has access to it, but only the people who really need it are going to be wanting to use it. Yes, the people who who aren't going to say I want to get dressed in a girls' locker room because I identify as a girl. But, right. So you but can that, you can ban that practice and say like, hey. You were born a boy, and you're 12 years old right now, and you're saying that you identify as a girl. It's it could cause some issues to allow you to change in the girls' locker room right now. So we're not going to let you do that. But if you feel uncomfortable changing in the boys' locker room, there's a private bathroom across the hall that you can use instead. Now no one's upset. I think that's a reasonable solution. That you can go with the standard, which recognized as normal. But we wouldn't. We would use different terminology, of course. Right. But yeah. Or, or you, you know, if you feel uh, that you are special, um, because obviously you're not one or the other, then you have a special room. But I, I also think that this has become such an issue because this Puritan American culture has stigmatized being naked and and certain sexuality. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, let me ask you this: When we were in high school, and we had to like change before gym class or whatever, if there was a private bathroom next to, like, in between the two locker rooms, 
that you could have used, or you could just change in the boys' locker room. Where are you changing? Um, so I remember going to like public locker rooms at YMCA's and stuff when I was a kid, and I realized, and I'll you know I'll try to use my own language to describe this. You're um, not answering my question. I'm talking well, about on, in high school. Hear, hear me out. So if if you're gonna like change, you know, all, you have to get completely nude. No, we didn't uh, get completely naked in high school. Well, then I would change in the locker room, but um, but that's because we wore the same. This is kind of gross, but a teenager wearing the same underwear to do gym class in, and then just changing your on top clothes. Well, yeah, uh, that's what happened. But like nobody got naked in the locker room when we were changing for gym class. I, I didn't really think so. Now, I mean, I remember. No, I never. I didn't see that once. If somebody got naked in the locker room, everyone would be like, "Dude, what the hell are you doing?" That's that's true. That's true. But I, I feel like now as an adult, I like I, when I was in Colorado, we actually went to this really cool place uh, to this the Colorado Springs uh, uh, hot springs. And we were in this in this place where there was a hot spring coming out and there was a bunch. There was like 20 different baths at different temperatures ranging. I guess the water came out at like 125 and the temperatures range from like 108 to 110 down to like 98. And they had all these different hot baths. But before you go in, you're in this locker room. And I was with some people that I'd only met you know, two days before who were all kind of gung-ho to go, go into these hot baths and just walk in, you get a drop trowel, and uh, you change into a bathing suit. And, and you're just in this public locker room. And it's uncomfortable because you don't do it every day. But I remember, like, that was, you know, think back in, like, the 60s and the 70s. And that was... Yeah, know, but... This is you as an adult in, in, in an environment around other adults. Yes, but should we only keep children in 100% comfortable situations? Well, the answer to that is no, but, and then the question is how uncomfortable is too uncomfortable, and I don't have that answer because everyone will have a different answer. Also, I want nothing to do with speculating on legislation about naked children. No, not really. <laughs> At all. Um, but, but, you know, but my point is that, like, in terms of how we treat transgender kids in school, is you treat them the same as you treat any other student, and if they ask for, for something, you determine whether or not that's reasonable to accommodate, and if what they're asking for you can't do, then you come up with a compromise that will be good enough. So if the 12-year-old boy wants to change in the girls' locker room, yeah, that's going to cause some problems. No, we can't do that. But here's a private bathroom you can use, done and done. Yeah, and you decide on a on an in, you know on a case by case. And this is and I know you're not a big fan of Jordan Peterson, but the reason that this guy rose to fame was because he's a psychologist and he teaches a class you know where these things come up, and then he tries to dissect what people are thinking, why they're thinking them. And there was a law in Canada that was going to be passed requiring specific language based on gender. And he said that I don't want to be required by law to call somebody a specific uh, gender pronoun. I would prefer that to be my own judgment. And, and people were attacking him saying, well, that's because you're homophobic and you don't support gay people. And he said, no, I just, you know, I, I want to have the option to you know, make a mistake. And if I encounter myself in an embarrassing situation, that's on me. But I don't think that legislation should dictate language. So it's a rare case where both sides are wrong here. In, in what way? So passing a law criminalizing calling somebody an incorrect pronoun, dumb idea. But making that your hill to die on and basic, because like, if, if I meet somebody and I think it's a he and it's actually a she or other way around and I call them wrong and like they, if they get offended the first time I say that then they're just an ass because you know what like I didn't mean any offense by it I got it wrong I'm sorry and if you're going to get mad at me for the first time I make that mistake you're being a dick however what? if you say actually I'm a she and I keep on calling you a he I'm being a dick so well, he wants to the way I come off with this he wants the, this license to act like an asshole and not suffer any consequences no, from right, it. But saying, criminalizing it is also stupid. No, he's saying he doesn't want to act like an asshole. He's just opposing 
the criminalization of it. He doesn't want to. And if, if somebody is an asshole, then they are an asshole. And, and then you can, you know, if you want to uh, sue them for harassment, by all means, do it. But it yeah, but be, a lot oh, of asshole funny. behaviors aren't illegal. You're just being an ass. Exactly. And, you know, we, you and I had a lot of experience with that situation uh, when we were younger and you had long hair. And, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, when somebody saw you and you turned around and talked, they, they knew you were a guy, but you had, you know, I, I actually know a lot of people that have kids with, not a lot, but I know a, a handful of people that have kids with boy children that have long hair. And, you know. Yeah, and that, I think, especially since I was young enough that, like, there's no, like, gender development going, that, like, it's, like, I, I could understand why people would have confused me for a girl based on the way that I looked with my long hair. So, but, but what I noticed more often was that the person would misuse the wrong pronoun and rather than the person who they misused it on being super uncomfortable and upset, it was more so that person who misused the word that was more uncomfortable. And I would say in the vast majority of those situations when that person realized they're wrong, and same thing for me, when, you know, there's been a, uh, a, a few instances where yeah, I live in New York City, man. It's not, you know, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a, a very uh, gay dense city, and increasingly over the last decade, um, transgender and just general queer. I'm sure there's other words I can't think of them. Uh, and I have great friends on, you know, on, on both sides of, on all sides of the, the gender spectrum, I guess. Um, but it's, I still want to have the right to. To make my own judgment and not be mandated and then if i do screw up uh potential legal implications yeah and I, I think that there's probably already existing laws if you're if you're choosing to be an asshole to the point where it's really offending the person then you're probably committing a crime even without like the canadian law being on the books so it's a dumb law and but to make that the hill that you die on i think is also stupid well i think it's you know, I know you're not a fan of Jordan Peterson, but I think you would, if you heard him articulate his point, and he doesn't. I have. I've I've listened to a lot of him before. Like I listened to a ton of his stuff, and it was the more I listened to him, especially recently, the more problematic I think his message becomes. Well, about gender identity. No, just in general. No, I. Um, but that's what happens when you when you kind of have a platform and you continue to expand and expand expand, you kind of get caught in the groove, and, and then that groove expands, and it, you know, both sides of that groove may not be, may not be right, but look, something that I, I, I think I've heard, you know, I used to listen to a lot of Loveline, you know that? Yeah. Uh, so I used to listen to a lot of Loveline, I follow, and I was trying to figure out who said this, I think it was Dr. Drew, who was the guy that was on Loveline, but what they talked about was the gigantic culture shift in the 1960s. So you're coming out of 1950, 1955, 1959. You're, tw you're a 20-year-old guy. You're walking down the street in New York City. You have a suit and probably a hat on. Right? Yeah. Now, at some point in the 60s, and this is more so late 60s, right? It's, it's definitely... Early 60s, not at all. Yeah, it's definitely... Wait, what do you mean early 60s, not at all? As in the, the the cultural shift really didn't start until the mid '60s, and like that, I would say like the '60s as we understand it really went until like the early and mid '70s. Yeah, so when we think of the '60s, you're you're exactly right. We think of the early '70s uh, as that '60s hippie culture, but yeah, I'd go like '66 to like '73. But Woodstock was '69. Yep, and Woodstock was really that first giant in your face, this is a force to be reckoned with, we are a people, this is who we are. That was really that first event that was, this is us, and, and we are bigger than you. we've been, you know. Yeah, the, this, this movement is not a fad, and it's not going away. Yeah, and that's, but imagine living in that period where this change was happening so fast. I can't think of that, and I don't know if I said this before in the podcast, but I can't think of anything else that had in our lifetimes that has culturally shifted so drastically that 
that you know the products mm. have resulted in a different landscape. Mm. We were at the at the right age. I would say there's been two. There's been two in our lifetime. Which would be technology and then this. No, the first would be nine eleven. It's been so long at this point that it's it's difficult to remember the way the world was beforehand. But nine eleven, after nine eleven, things have been remarkably different. And then so that's one. And then so that was in two thousand one. And I'm going to say the second shift, which we are still going through, um, has been the tremendous impact of social media and inescapable connectedness. Well, and I think that that has catalyzed a lot of the changes that our society is being shoved through right now. Um, and <laughs> I just got the image of like a goose that they force feed corn right now. Uh, I don't know where that popped into my head, but it is, it's going to result in a, a completely different landscape I think way more so than 9-11, because you don't see 9-11, you, you can get an essence of it on a day-to-day, -day, but you, if, if you compare day-to-day -day now versus then, you don't see it as much as you do when you travel. You travel yeah, you but the po I, I think the political landscape changed drastically. Well, well I, I think with these especially with the transgenderism and and just like I said in the beginning of the podcast liberal the liberals to me now are the ones that are asking for a lot of these protective laws and, and I, I think liberals are there's there's a shift that's happening obviously we're talking about a conservative law right now that that's that's mandating a language ban basically which which isn't even in line with with what we know to be conservatives to be. Conservatives are the ones that want the free speech. Mm, that, that's what they say. Exactly. So, but that's but we're, we're we're going through this big shift, and I think when we come out of it, I don't know if it's going to be a better place or a worse place. Honestly, it's going to be a different place, um, and I'm curious. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I think we're going to have a lot more transgender people, but I also think allowing for so much more isn't going to reduce the confusion that they're going to have a lot more confused people so what what's wrong with being confused i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all i don't think there's a, you know I, I but i don't think it's i don't see that as a negative consequence like the world's complicated and confusing and it's difficult to navigate so just accept that that's the status and do your best yeah i uh I, I, Try don't oversimplify things. Accept that you're not going to understand everything, and just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick is something I say on a regular basis. Uh, I used to have a mirror in my office that said that had a, a sticker on it said "Be nice," but I think the "Don't be a dick" mantra is something I really try hard to live by, and and I think that that's that's a I think that's a mentality that a lot more people need to need to. Yeah, so if you're suing a school because you didn't like the lesson plan of a teacher, you're being a dick. Very, very clear. So Rosh would like us to uh, to include the, the phrase here. You can go ahead and read it, and then, uh, yeah, go ahead. On Sip Talk, when we talk about transgenders and sex education, it's hard for us not to use the word dick, asshole, and pussy, because we all have those. Uh, don't be a dick and don't be an ass. Um which is interesting uh, language. Um, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. This one got buried in the comments. Kejo and Christina want to join sometime, so maybe you can work on coordinating that. Yeah, well, we'll have to come up with a good, uh, a good topic to, to bring them on. This is, a, this is actually, I'd like to incorporate both sides. Uh, I'd like to incorporate a discussion with both sides of the political spectrum when it comes to transgenderism and it, you know, it's difficult for me to, to reach out to friends and say, hey, you know, I, and I have some transgender friends and some gay friends. And it, it's, it's weird to reach out and say, hey, I want you to talk about that. Um, because it's just an uncomfortable request to make for somebody to, 
to join because of whatever their identity is. But I'll see if we can get maybe some people on to talk about it. And uh, I appreciate everybody who's joined us today. Uh, James, anything else you want to add? Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. And make sure you fo- don't be a dick. If you're listening to us now, make sure you follow us on YouTube, all the audio podcast platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and everywhere else. On that note, we're hitting the time limit here. I'll see you next time, guys. Letters. Adios. All right, that concludes this episode. Thank you for joining. Let, let us know what you thought of that bill. It's uh, some pretty crazy stuff. So uh, thank you guys for making it this far, and I will see you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.